Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today one of my favorite guests on radio, in life and in politics, Andrea Miller, who is the executive director of the People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group, a nonprofit that promotes clean energy in Virginia and nationwide. Andrea is a former congressional candidate, a fierce advocate of solar energy, climate justice, and fair voting practices, reclaiming our vote and organizing for justice. During the 2017 and 2018 elections, she designed and developed virtual phone banks for outreach to underrepresented voters in Virginia, Alabama, and Pennsylvania, believing strongly that our ability to vote is our power to change things. Andrea Miller is very much involved with fulfilling the mission of the Center for Common Ground and the Virginia Poor People's Campaign. Given the recent November elections in Kentucky, where it looks like a Democrat has been elected governor, and in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where every seat in Virginia's General Assembly was under ballot scrutiny, if you will, and voter consideration. Now, although we may not go back as far as the Civil War, we're talking with Andrea today, Andrea Miller today, about the Commonwealth of Virginia and how it has evolved Well, from Richmond being the capital of the Confederacy, through the Reconstruction, through the solid Democratic South, by the way, until 1970, because Lincoln happened to be a Republican, through Governor Bob McDonald's bribery scandal, and Democratic Governors Terry McAuliffe and Ralph Northam. And now, Virginia, with a Democratic majority elected in both the Virginia Senate and House of Delegates in Richmond, Virginia, again, the former capital of the Confederacy, we have here on Veterans Day 2019 the reasonable voice of Andrea Miller to tell us what's going on in our elections in Virginia and around America, for that matter. Welcome back, Andrea, to the Reasonable Voices radio news talk program. And how are you, Globetrotter? Well, thank you for inviting me. 
inviting me to join you today, Marcello. I am fine. As I told you in a text, I was in Alabama yesterday, mm. so we are already starting our work for 2020. But be before I jump into what we're doing with 2020, and were you really trying to imply that I was around back during the days of the Civil War? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll tell you something. I know you know Virginia past, present, and future enough to know from whence it has come. So yes, I, I'm, and, and, and I think I'm going to bring us up into more modern times yes. that many people uh, that listen to you will probably remember. So we're going to go back to Virginia 2015. Okay, yeah. tell us about that. Was, uh, that was uh, Governor uh, McAuliffe was uh, governor of Virginia then, if uh, I recall. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And now what, what, what just kind of occurred to me was Remember those old cigarette commercials for Virginia Slims and the tagline, you've come a long way, baby? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, Virginia has come a long way, baby. Okay. So in 2015, there were 47 seats in the Virginia House where there was no one who ran on the Democratic ticket. Wow. I didn't know that. All right, yeah. Let that set in. There are 100 seats in the Virginia House, and there were 47 where there was no Democrat. Mm. Mm. So, you know, a uh, little tough to move any kind of an agenda forward when you leave that many uncontested seats. Yes. So, so when we fast forward to... 2017, mm -hmm. an amazing thing happened. In 2015, Dominion Energy was able to pretty much remove itself from scrutiny or rate scrutiny by the State Corporation Commission. Oh, yes. That is the branch in Virginia that is responsible for fiscal oversight of our corporations. That includes our utility companies. Now, when they removed themselves from rate oversight, the first thing that they did was they raised the rates. Mm. And then, because they could raise the rates, they raised the rates again. I see. And according to the State Corporation Commission, they overcharged Virginia consumers roughly $700 million a year for three years. Oh, my God. That's $2.1 billion. Yes. And the Virginia citizenry did kind of notice that. Yes. And they were not pleased. So the referendum or the election in 2017 was very much a referendum about bringing Dominion back in line and back under the oversight of the State Corporation Commission because we discovered when left to their own devices to, quote, regulate themselves, they really weren't exactly up to the job. Exactly, yes. So, so what happened was 
we had suddenly candidates that started running on the Democratic ticket all over Virginia. Mm-hmm. They ran in suburbs that normally voted Republican. They ran in rural areas that normally voted Republican. Mm. And we even saw a few challenges against Democrats who were awash in Dominion money. And we saw the creation of something called the Dominion Pledge, where candidates who were running for office pledged not to take money from Dominion Energy. Mm. And at the end of the night, we had elected so many candidates that took the pledge that in the Virginia House, and now the entire Virginia House was up for re-election, but only a portion of the Senate, that we ended up being roughly three seats away from actually being in control of the Virginia General Assembly. Oh, yes. Now, two of those races on the recount, it turned out we still didn't have enough votes. So we saw Josh Cole not win the seat in the 28th district Mm. and saw Larry Barnett down in Chesterfield not win the 27th district and then we saw the weirdest thing that anybody has ever seen pretty much in the history of anything <laughs> we saw a recount where oh, they declared yes. the yeah. candidates tied in Virginia 94 yes. and then we saw suddenly after a recount pulling a ballot out of I guess the normal ballots where ballots are protected and saying, we think this ballot should be counted. And the judges all agreed that, yes, the ballot should be counted. Now, according to Virginia law, at the end of the day, after a recount, when everybody shakes hands and they say, all right, we've got all the ballots, then they go home. That is the end of the recount. If you decide you want to count something else, that's a new recount. So that was a problem with Virginia law right there. Yes. Also, according to Virginia law, based on this ballot where they had marked two candidates for the same office, and it really wasn't possible to tell which was which, this was a spoiled ballot and should never have been counted by anybody at all. So it, it just got interesting. And remember, that was the year where they drew a name out of a fishbowl. That's right. And the name they drew won the seat. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's still... I just, uh, uh, even Rachel Maddow the other night uh, reminded us of that, but I'll never forget it. It's just... Uh, and, it's in, and, and Virginia, we will never live that down. Exactly. Of course not. Like, oh, wow. You, you elect your candidates by just drawing names out of a fishbowl. I know, I know, I know my God. spending all this money on elections? What, what, what do you think? The 2016 elections, I, I'm not a Democrat who goes back to that year often. But, I'm but, not even a <laughs> but what uh, what the 2016 elections, what, what do they teach us about the necessity for 
uh, year-round voting services? Well, what they taught us was that voter suppression is very much alive and well. Mm. We found 9,000 ballots that were uncounted in Wisconsin, and um, we lost Wisconsin by 10,000 votes. We found all manner of things where in Cleveland, in the black area of town, we suddenly saw bulletin boards saying, you know, voter fraud is a felony punishable by 10 years imprisonment and XYZ fine. Mm. And so we saw a lot of voter intimidation that we had not seen before. And the last time I looked, Cleveland is north of the Mason-Dixon line. Yes. So we saw a lot of racial voter intimidation. So 2016, well, and then we also saw a presidential candidate who neglected to go to a number of our Rust Belt states, namely Michigan and Wisconsin. And those states were lost. So there were a lot of lessons which hopefully people who are campaigning in 2020 will learn. And one of those lessons is your community of color voters, those voters, whether you're on the D side, the I side or the R side, Mm -hmm. you had better work to get those voters to come out and vote. You need to you need to recognize everyone and not take anyone for granted. But I think, as you you say, the the D side, I side, or R side, it's important too to add that it's women, white and of color, who are really driving. It seems to me of this uh, election, whether it's in response to what was done or not done, or said or not said, but uh, in 2016 or not. But people are on both sides, I think, motivated, and women in particular, even in the suburbs and, and certainly uh, in neighborhoods of color that uh, have too often been taken for granted by everybody. By everybody. Uh, you know. Uh, and, 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 and in Alabama 2017, it was most definitely the African-American women in the Alabama Black Belt that basically drove victory in that election. And Marcello, you want to hear something really, really sad? I was with one of the phone bankers when they were calling Alabama and the phone was on speaker. And we were speaking with a 40-year-old African-American woman in Mobile, Alabama. Mm. Now, Mobile, that is a city. That is not rural Alabama. That's right. And I will never forget that conversation after we went through, were you going to vote? Did you have your photo ID? Did you need a ride to the poll? The, The woman made an observation. And she said, I have had this phone number for 15 years. And this is the first political call I have ever gotten. Well, then there it is. That's it. I'd like to think uh, there is a party that listens to everyone. But obviously, at the very least, uh, well, we haven't. Let's put it that way. It's not enough to be the the better of uh, two evils, I suppose. We've, we can't live with that anymore. Well, you know, t- tell me what you're finding out, uh, because you've taught me so much about politics over the years. What, what are you learning when you go about 
you're doing so much traveling now. What do what do we need to know that uh, we don't know and about national and state and local policy and politics? I know that's a big question, but and what's to be done to elevate electorate awareness? Well, what I've seen is that I'm nearly 66 years old, so I am technically speaking a senior citizen. Mm. So in previous elections, the senior citizen vote could pretty much drive an election. Mm -hmm. And normally when you're looking at the senior citizen vote, they're voting to protect Medicare and Social Security. Yes. Those are the big, big issues for seniors because those are our pocketbook issues. Be you black, brown, Indian, Native American, Asian, it doesn't matter. Those are the issues that impact your pocketbook. So you want to make certain that you continue to get Medicare and it's Social Security. Could anybody say that we really need a cost of living adjustment? Mm. So that is really what we look at seniors or the baby boomers to support. Well, in 2020, we're dying out. So the 2020 election is going to be an interesting one. This could be the first election where we see it decided not by seniors, mm. but by voters under the age of 35. Yes. And all due respect to all seniors, but I kind of welcome that. I, I think that potentially a, a breath of fresh air uh, and, and more than anything else, that people under 35, people under 30, people in their 20s are actually taking our electoral system, our voting privilege uh, seriously and acting accordingly. We're going to have to take a short break. Uh, as much as I always hate that when I'm talking with Andrea, I want to just keep talking. But we are we are listening to Andrea Miller, the executive director of People Demanding Action, who is so dedicated to our privilege for voting for all to enjoy that she is fulfilling the mission of the Center of Common Ground and the Virginia Poor People's Campaign and educating all voters on accepting the responsibility of that great privilege. We'll be back with Andrea Miller in just a moment. Please stay with us. There's so much left to talk about. Welcome to the NDFL Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. 
with shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. My guest today, Andrea Miller, the Executive Director of People Demanding Action, heavily involved with voter education, voter registration. I mean, you name it, she is out there from state to state, not just in her home in the Commonwealth of Virginia, trying to help voters accept the responsibility and to be able, because there is voter suppression I ended our last segment, Andrea, uh, talking about how I welcome the influx of younger people, people under 35, leading now the electorate. But the real question is, historically, people under 35 don't vote as much as people over 55. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, that's exactly right, Marcello. Now, in this current age where... We do a lot of voter registration. A lot of schools make it a point of running voter registration drives for their juniors and seniors. Because remember, even if you're 17, as long as you will be 18 by Election Day, you are perfectly free to register. So we don't have a registration problem with young people 18 to 24. We also don't even have a voter deactivation problem with our younger voters, 18 to 24. Mm. But what we do have is a huge voter participation actually showing up and voting among our young people ages 18 to 24. And when I was in Alabama this weekend, the young people there really, really made it a point of making sure I understood the voter suppression that goes on Mm -hmm. in our college campuses. Yes. Now, even right here in Virginia, George Mason University, 187 student voter registrations were rejected by, all right, drum roll, please, you are not going to believe this, mm. Fairfax County. Well, good. okay, and that's the blue, by the way, Fairfax County. Why, why, yeah, why, yeah. yeah. Well, Fairfax County is pretty darn blue. Exactly. So, yeah, that, that's Fairfax County, yes, yes, yes. So we, we're not talking some rural Yes. We are talking Fairfax County. And their reasoning was these students were given by their university an official address to use. Now, they also, of course, all have room numbers for those that live on campus. Mm. So since the campus said your official address is blah, 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 that is what the students used. And they did not include their room numbers. Well, uh, Fairfax County Registrar rejected 187 applications. Now you know that and is... they rejected them late. So that meant that 
notifying the students they might not have been able to officially vote. So anyway, Stephen Spitz and a number of other people immediately got involved. They immediately filed a lawsuit, and those students were able to register, and they were able to vote. Now, when we get further south than Virginia, and I'm going to say it, Virginia now, we are the former capital of the Confederacy. Yes. And I, I am enjoying that former. I was down in Alabama and there were people from Georgia. And I told the Alabama and the Georgia people, I said, I don't know who's going to win, but one of you, because it is no longer Virginia, will now get to be the new capital of the Confederacy. And they're both like, oh, not a, not a. So anyway, anyway, let me talk about student voter suppression. Yes. The college campuses in Alabama and Georgia, they do run very big student voter registration drives. Mm-hmm. However, what happens in many instances is those voter registrations get rejected, and then the students go to their county registrar. How do you want us to process them? Well, you have to make sure you do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and they do whatever they've been instructed to do. And then they get rejected for some other reason. So there is going to have to be a very strong effort on the part of the legal organizations, the ACLU, my organization, and others making certain that we have for each state, we know what are the rules that you want followed when registering students on campus. Now, because elections in a state are really controlled by that state, and some states give their counties a tremendous amount of say. This is going to get very interesting because it may be that some counties say, well, if your university has a policy and says that the official address is this, then that's okay. Other counties may go, no, Mm. you had better put your dorm room on it. Otherwise, no, we're not counting it as a valid registration. So it's very interesting. And then again, remember, because unless it's a commuter school, most students are not going to have driver's licenses issued by the state where they're going to college. Yes. Because they don't really live in those states permanently. Mm -hmm. They live here most of the year, but this is not what they consider a permanent, permanent home. They're going to go somewhere else when school is out. But again, school goes on nine months out of the 12 months of the year. So realistically, that is why we have students vote in the state where they go to school. So what we're saying is that this is all very much in flux, but but there's a reality that the voters who could and should and and possibly will lead the electorate 
in the 2020 elections are being suppressed, their right. votes are being suppressed, and there are a whole lot of twists and turns, a maze has been created, and perhaps some of it in initially intentional, uh, you know, for the good, but the point is the maze is there, uh, that they must travel to diverse to get through and figure out what's going on. Are they likely to do that, and what can we with gray hair do to to help them see the wisdom of that i know you you've mentioned georgia and alabama and of course virginia pennsylvania what are you doing and what should we be doing to emulate your activity well what we're going to be doing is the alabama registrar of voters actually attended the event that i attended on saturday uh -huh. so i will be reaching out to him with a very simple question, actually two simple questions. Mm. Number one, Alabama does allow out-of-state people to come in and register voters. What are the rules for that? Uh. And number two, what are your rules? Because it does seem to be a problem for students attending universities in Alabama to register voters. Who is in control of the process? Yes. Is it the state? Or is it the individual county? So who should we be holding accountable for when our students attempt to register and their registrations are rejected? Whose rules are we following? So if the state says, oh, as long as you do this, you're good, and we do that, and then the county rejects them, is the county in control? Will the state overrule the county? How exactly does that work? Mm -hmm. And see for students who generally are going to be somewhat reluctant to go to a state official in charge of an official function and say, all right, how are we supposed to navigate this? This gets into a whole experience thing. Mm. They, they don't have experience. They're just trying to do the paperwork so they can vote. Yes. I'm coming at it as I've got hundreds, if not thousands of young people going to school in your state who want to vote. Tell me the process. Yes. So am I going county by county? Because every county in Alabama almost has some type of institution of higher learning, figuring out the rules, or will you take responsibility for working with your counties and saying, look, as far as the state is concerned, if you do this, we're good. Okay. I wonder, and this is a geographical question and a racial question, and maybe even a gender question, different communities in different states, obviously, but different communities, as in underserved communities, suburban communities, whatever, do, do are there different voter services that are needed for different strokes for different folks? How's that? I, um, I don't mean to be trivial, but do different groups of people and, and racial differences, economic differences, uh, geographic differences, does that play into what yes. is needed? Okay. You go. Yes. Yes. Well, for instance, if you happen to live in a state as blue as California, California is introducing the notions of voting centers. Mm. You can vote anywhere in your county at a voting center. They have automatic and same-day voter registration. And then you contrast that 
with a place like Virginia, where our voter registration ends on a very specific date. Yes. And if after that date you discover you have a registration problem, well, you're out of luck. There's mm. nothing you can do about it. Mm. You can fix it, but since it will not go into effect until the next election, at best, you're going to ask a provisional ballot that can't be counted. Exactly. So, for instance, if you move, but you don't drive. So now we're getting into age, we're getting into income and class. If you don't drive and you move, then you may not interact with the DMV. Mm. So this now means you are going to have to remember to go and update your voter registration. Because if you have moved and you show up to vote at your, quote, new polling location, now, if it's been less than a year, yes, you will be able to vote a regular ballot. Mm -hmm. If it has been more than a year, you will be given an address provisional and your vote will not be counted because Virginia normally does not count address provisionals. Yes. And so as we add race, as we add age, as we add class, Mm -hmm. all these different things come into play. Now, let's say you are a returning citizen. Mm. It is a felony for someone who has not had their rights restored to vote. Mm. Now, Governor McAuliffe started the automatic restoration process. Governor Northam has continued it. Mm -hmm. But what if you moved and your voting rights have been restored, but Mm -hmm. you don't know they've been restored? You're not going to rush out and register to vote Mm -hmm. because you've you've done your time. You're trying to be a, a... model citizen with no voting privileges. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the last thing that you are going to do. And now go to other states where they don't have such a process. Again, people are going to be very reluctant to attempt to vote, to register and then vote. Mm-hmm. Now in Virginia, we have an online database, so you can go put in your name, the last four of your social, and see, have you been restored or not? If you haven't been restored, you can ask. Mm. Most southern states do not have such a program. So there are phone numbers to call that they don't answer. There are people to chase who don't respond to emails very well. Mm. And you are really going to have to make an effort to find out how do I get restored or have I already been restored? And we already have a case where a young woman in Texas went to vote. She had a problem earlier in her life. She had been clean for years, went to vote, and it turned out, nope, she wasn't off paper, really didn't have, quote, the right to register. Mm. And they jailed her for five years. Oh, yes, of course, because it's a, yeah, it's a felony. Right. You know, I I would. remember, voting is a privilege. Exactly. Exactly. And we always, you and I, make that point uh, that voting is not a right. 
it is a privilege like driving and so you've got to you know you've got to stay on top of things and much of it has to be the responsibility of the individual but fortunately for all of us there are people like Andrea Miller and and more and more becoming aware we just need to make certain that once they're aware especially the young they're not suppressed but you know even a simple thing is well it's not so simple for everybody but a photo ID or a ride to the polls how does uh, how does 2019 2020 I should say compare with 2019 in your opinion election wise uh, for voter ID requirements for rides the transportation to the polls to vote for for people registering to vote what what do you think the impact is what what did we learn in 2019 that's going to help that be, all of that be better in 2020 all right well one of the things i learned in 2019 is that boards of elections can change and modify polling places up until september mm. before a november election yeah. and what we discovered in house district 66 which was Speaker Kirk Cox's district is the two largest African-American polling locations were moved. I discovered it accidentally when I was working on booking rides for people and we had a precinct and there was no address given. Hmm. So I Googled it and sure enough, it referred me to the county where they had a listing of all their police tanks. I looked it up, got where it was, got the address. And then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a precinct. And I had driven people to the polls at that precinct. Mm. And I was like, what? And I noticed that precinct had moved. It had formerly been at an elementary school, and now it had been moved to Virginia State University. And I was like, what, what? And so I checked, and then I went and I looked at the voter activation network that we had, and I realized we had the wrong polling information. So when we were calling voters and telling them where to vote, we were giving them the wrong information. And then I decided to dig a little deeper. Mm. I looked at the next largest African-American precinct, and sure enough, that precinct had changed. So I went to the State Board of Elections who pointed me to where they had the full list of every polling location in Virginia that was going to be used for the November 2019 election. And then I had our van administrator upload that and I sent it to every van administrator that I knew that was working in Virginia to have them upload that information. So that means now that when polling locations change, and again, the election is at the beginning of November, the polling locations can change until the end of September. How are people notified and do people notice? So we stationed someone at the old polling location, Mm. and by noon, she had redirected more than 100 people to the new polling location. The county had said, oh, yes, we will put up a sign directing people to the new polling location. The county did not put up a sign, so we put up a sign. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The second largest black precinct in the district. And we had an African-American woman running for seat. Mm. And now the reason for changing those polling locations in both instances were very legitimate. The second polling location was in a church. The church had been sold. It was currently under renovation. So the church itself as a building was closed. Mm. So they moved the polling location somewhere else. Now, next election, it's moving back to its original location because the renovations are going to be finished. You know, and and this, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm following you and some of it we've talked about before, but it's always uh, riveting and, and mind-blowing. But I wonder, for all that you're doing, for instance, you mentioned a van administrator and presumably when when you, with all your technical expertise, talk about sending things out so everyone knows, this is, we're talking digitally, we're talking computers and phones, and, and of course, many people have that. But what about the people who don't, who don't spend as much time on their phones and computers as you and I do? Well, what we do is when we discovered those polling location changes, we put up phone banks and then we called every person that we have phone number for that was supposed to vote at those districts Mm. to let them know, here's the new address. Your polling location has been changed. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we tell people, but what if I hadn't accidentally found out that those polling locations had changed? People would have been sent to the wrong polling location. It would have been closed and there would be no sign telling them where the new location was. And this happened in two of the predominantly African-American voting districts, yes? Yes, in House District 66, yes. And it theoretically could have happened in other places. It just so happened those were two precincts where I was going to be providing rights to the polls. That is why I found it. Now, let's multiply that by... 12 other southern states and mm. life starts getting really interesting doesn't yeah, it it does all right andrea i'm sorry we have to go but i guess the lessons are there for 2020 and and everyone everyone we, we've got to be more like andrea miller and i and i'm not being funny I'm, I'm i mean we've got to be more like andrea miller and the people with whom she works and the volunteers the van administrators the, the phone bank folks who have calling and and a lot of the things I know I can take for granted, like a photo ID, you know, and and I can drive myself to the polls. I just did and all that. But there's just so much that goes on. As you said, it was legitimate to change the, the polling location because of the church renovation. What the problem is, is that then the government and in voting, we remind everyone it's not under federal law. It's the states, the individual states, and as Andrea said, in some cases, the counties have a responsibility to notify people 
So much assistance is needed, I guess. And that brings me to my last question to Andrea. How can we, listening to this show, how can we help everyone get to the polls, uh, know where they're supposed to go, register on time? You know, there are 51 states. That, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give people in Virginia their information first because okay. we've got so many tools for that. In Virginia um, and in every state, it really is critical to know what are the voter registration dates, what are the rules in your state. In Virginia, we make it very, very easy. I'm going to give you a website. If you go to tinyurl.com slash V-A-P-P-C. is Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. tinyurl.com slash V-A-P-P-C. You can put in your name, the last four of your social, the county you live in, and you can see your record in the voter file. Is your registration status active? All right, good. You're good to go. It will also tell you where you vote. Now, for other states, you can go to vote.org, go to your state, and then it will give you the opportunity to see, does your state allow you to check your voter registration online? That Vote.org will, in many instances, connect you directly to that where you can put in information and you can check. You're always looking for registration status active. If it's anything else, you're going to need to do something to make sure you get that change too active. Now, check your voter registration status, not once, but at least four times a year. Every state has a right to maintain their voter rolls. And what they do is they take the list of voters in their state and they compare it to federal data 